Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a series of programs on the subject of telling a Jew about Jesus, and this program is a continuation of previous ones where I raised a number of important issues. The first issue that needs to be considered is the existence of God, and I certainly do believe that there is more than enough evidence to show that there is a God. The next issue that follows from that is that considering any subject that we may consider to be important, any subject that we may have a conversation about, if there is a God, it's quite likely that he has an opinion about that subject. And I explained that from the point of view that if he has an opinion, then we should take his opinion seriously. We should take what God thinks to be very important. One of the things that is very important that we have explained in Daniel chapter 9, for example, is that our God spoke with Daniel about a Messiah. He answered Daniel's question about when there would be an end of transgressions that would restore the people back into the land. God sent an angel and told him when that would happen, but he also told Daniel that there would be a Messiah and gave information that could be used in order to perform a calculation on the calendar so that a person can get a pretty good idea of when the Messiah would arrive and accomplish a number of things. Two things that were very important that God described was that he wanted to bring an end to sin, an end to transgressions. He wanted the sin issue to be over. He also explained to Daniel that he wanted there to be an everlasting righteousness. These are two things that are very important to God. These issues certainly are not important to a lot of people, but they are important to God. He wants there to be a resolution to sin, and he wants there to be a righteousness, a right standing between him and others that is eternal in nature, that kind of righteousness. I also explained in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 34, that God would invoke a new covenant. This is between verses 31 and 34 in Jeremiah chapter 31, that this is important to him, that there needed to be another covenant, and that the new covenant would be accomplished, it would be established on the basis that he would remember our sins no more. And so this is important to God. It is important to him. And because it is important to him, you should consider it to be important to you also. And there needs to be a resolution to these issues. Now, these issues started a long time ago. They started in the Garden of Eden. And so in this program, I'm going to talk about Genesis chapter 1 through 3, where God described the creation of humanity And he also described the fall of humanity, what happened related to this. 
In Genesis chapter 2, I'm going to start here. In Genesis chapter 2, and I'm reading from the Jewish Publication Society's translation from Hebrew. In Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 7, it says, Then the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. All right, this is in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, where God breathed within humanity what he described as the breath of life, and it was at this point that mankind, Adam and Eve and others, were effectively created to be a living being. Now, for those of you who are familiar with Hebrew, you can look this up yourself, and you will find that the words that were used in order to describe the breath of life those words could be more correctly translated as the Spirit of God. It's written in a divine grammatical format, a very unique grammatical construction in the plural that describes divinity such that we have the Spirit of God breathed into humanity. And I'll call this the Holy Spirit, the Spirit that is holy, was breathed within humanity. And it was because of the life of God within them that he recognized them as being a living soul or a living being, a living person. This is a very important description of how God created humanity. Following through in Genesis chapter 2, in verse 16 and 17, God establishes the relationship between himself and Adam and Eve. And the relationship was, of course, defined in this chapter such that they were expected to take care of the garden that he made and that they could have whatever they wanted except for the fruit of one tree. He just wanted this one tree for himself. Everything else he was willing to share, but that one tree he wanted exclusively for himself. In Genesis chapter 2, in verse 16, it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Now, there is a relationship between Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, and Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, he establishes a definition of life being the indwelling presence of the Nishmat Chayim, which is the Spirit of God, the divine, the divine presence of God within humanity. And in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, he states that in the event that humanity or somebody eats from the wrong tree, and that very day, they will absolutely die. Now, by definition, death is the absence of life. And in this case, the absence of life will be the absence of the life of God that was breathed within humanity, described in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. So when they did eat from the tree, if you continue to read into Genesis chapter 3, you find that they did eat from this tree. And when they did, they died in that very day. They were still physically alive. They were still active. They did some gardening. They had some children. We can read about what happened afterwards. Adam did not physically die until he was well over 400 years old. 
So we know that they did not die in a physical sense until later. But in order to fulfill what God said about it being in that very day, and you can of course look this up yourself in the language that this was written in, that it does say absolutely in that day. We have ways of saying that Adam would die 930 years later, not 400 years later, as I just mentioned a moment ago. It was a long time before Adam died physically. What's important to recognize is that there was a spiritual death that took place. The Spirit of God left humanity. That's what happened. And this describes the problem that exists between man and God. Now, Adam and Eve were tempted into eating from the wrong tree. The temptation was given by the devil, by the serpent. And the temptation was, if you eat from this tree, which is the knowledge of good and evil, then you will know what is good, you will know what is evil, and all you have to do is do that which is good, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil, and doing the right thing. That's effectively what they were tempted with, what was described. So we have the introduction of several problems that would need to be solved in Genesis chapter 1 through 3. We have the description of several problems. One problem is the introduction of sin in humanity, that there has been a change within humanity such that we will violate our God, we violate what he expects, we violate his law, we have lots of sin in our lives, and this is important to God. As I explained in Daniel chapter 9, Jeremiah chapter 31, and in a number of other places all over the place, God has had a lot to say about this being important to him and that he wants a resolution to this issue of sin. We also have the spiritual death of humanity that took place because Adam and Eve died. And in Genesis chapter 1, we have the description of God making Adam in his image, he was in the image of God. However, when the Holy Spirit of God was withdrawn from them, after that, when people were born from Adam and Eve, they were described as being born in the image of Adam, not in the image of God. We have the condition of spiritual death that needs to be resolved. So we have the sin issue that needs to be resolved. We have the spiritual death issue that needs to be resolved. And we also have the subject of do we live according to the knowledge of good and evil or do we live by the indwelling presence of our God within us through a personal interactive relationship with him. So these are the three issues that need to be addressed. One is sin. Two is the loss and the need for the restoration of the Holy Spirit. And number three is, how do we really live? Do we really live according to the law of God, that which is good and not that which is evil? Or do we live, has he created us to function and live in a different way? Now, according to the prophecies that I've already explained in the previous programs, the Messiah came in order to resolve the sin issue. And he did that effectively by his own death, dying on our behalf, fulfilling the requirements of the law that if you sin, you die, similar to what is described in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. 
And so the Messiah died on behalf of humanity. It was not a human sacrifice because it was God manifested in the flesh. And I explained this in the previous program. So what we have is we have a resolution of sin. However, there still is the spiritual death of humanity that also needs to be resolved. And this was explained in what we have known as the New Testament. In the New Testament, in the letters that Paul wrote mainly, we have the description of how the complete forgiveness of sins makes it possible for our God to restore to us the spirit of life that was lost in Adam. That's what the new covenant is about, and it's necessary to resolve the sin issue. Otherwise, the next time a person would sin, the Spirit of God would depart from them. In the Garden of Eden, all they had to do was eat from the wrong tree. But we have a lot more laws in addition to that that we can violate as was given by our God through Moses. We have the Old Covenant that gives us a complete description of what is good, what is evil, and there are a lot of opportunities for a person to violate our God, to sin. And so it was necessary for the sin issue to be completely resolved because that's the only way that the Spirit of God would remain within us after we are saved, after we experience salvation by the Messiah, after we have been made alive by restoring the Spirit of life. It is necessary for all sin to be resolved. Otherwise, the next time we sin, in accordance with Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, we're going to lose the spirit of life again, and we're going to die. And then then there is just simply no hope after that. And so this is what God did. He provided for forgiveness for all sin, so that he could restore the Holy Spirit that was lost in Adam. And now that this spirit of life is restored to those who are willing to receive their God in this way. There is no sin that will cause this life to depart from within them. And so by definition, what we have now, for those of us who will embrace the Messiah for who he is, and for what he came to give, for what he accomplished, we have a life that is eternal, an eternal life, an everlasting life. This is the everlasting righteousness that God spoke of in Daniel chapter 9 that I explained previously. This is what the new covenant is about and why it was necessary to bring an end to the issue of sin. The old covenant that was presented through Moses was given in order to address the issue of do we live according to the knowledge of good and evil or not? Adam and Eve were tempted by the devil in the Garden of Eden. This caused the fall of humanity. They were tempted by this issue of all you need to know is what is good and evil. And God has resolved this question. He has resolved this issue by presenting the law through Moses to the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel has a long, glorious history of sincere attempts to obey only to show that it is not possible. It is not possible to do. You cannot obey all of the commandments to the extent that God requires. And he required the nation of Israel to observe these commandments in order to resolve 
the question, resolved the issue that was raised in the Garden of Eden of do we live according to the knowledge of good and evil or not? There is nothing wrong with the law. There is nothing wrong with the knowledge of good and evil. The issue is, is that we were not created by our God to function that way. It's not going to happen, which is why it was necessary to invoke a new covenant that he described in Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34, and in other places. Our God has spoken about this issue. And so salvation, what the Messiah came to provide, was not just about the resolution of sin. It was also about the resolution of this eternal life. Now, I'm presenting these programs mainly for the purpose of describing Jesus to those who are in Judaism. For those of you who are in Judaism, who are familiar with rabbinical Judaism and many of the beliefs that are asserted by the most religious of our people, you would perhaps be familiar with a prayer that is said at the end of reading the Torah. Whenever a person completes a reading of the Torah, there is a prayer that has been said since before anybody can remember. This is the prayer. I'm going to read it in English because while many of you would recognize the Hebrew, not very many people are familiar enough with Hebrew in order to be able to translate what it is that I'm saying if I was to read this. In English, it says, Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who in giving us a Torah of truth hast planted everlasting life within us. Blessed art thou, O Lord, giver of the Torah. Hast planted everlasting life within us. That's what is said after the reading of the Torah. Every time the Torah is read, we say that. And that there is a belief that through the giving of the Torah, We have everlasting life put back within us, the life that was lost in Adam, the life that was breathed within humanity, Genesis chapter 2 verse 7, was lost, Genesis chapter 2 verse 17, and there is an assumption that through the giving of the law, Torah translated as law, through the giving of the law, we now have everlasting life restored to us, similar to the everlasting righteousness described in Daniel chapter 9. This is an assumption that is not correct. It is not correct because the law continually asserts that we are not perfect, that we still have sin, that we cannot eliminate sin. Now, I understand that there are some within Judaism who have taken the position that they have found a way to live in total obedience to the Torah so that they never sin and so that if the life of God is restored, they'll never lose it. But this is a big assumption, and this was codified during the time that God spoke of concerning when the Messiah would come. Jesus came during this time. He's the only one who qualifies to be the Messiah according to the prophecies that our God gave. And the overwhelming majority of his time that we have described in what's referred to as the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he spent a lot of time 
explaining to the people of this time era that he was not impressed, that he didn't think that they successfully observed the law of God to the extent where they could have everlasting life implanted within them in that way. And even if they manage to accomplish it for a moment, they're going to lose it again because there will be lots of opportunities to sin. There are many opportunities to sin, lots of commandments, lots of laws. That's what he was there for. That is what the Messiah came to accomplish, to show that through observance of the Torah, you don't have everlasting life within you. Why it would be necessary for the Messiah to resolve all sin through his death so that through his resurrection he can restore everlasting life. And that is the purpose of the Messiah. Now for those Jews who embraced the Messiah for who he really is, those Jews were still Jews, always will be Jews, because to be a Jew is a national identity. It is based on your family background. It is not based on what your beliefs are. As I explained previously, you can be a Jew and believe in anything you want as long as you don't believe in Jesus. You can believe in anything you want clearly. A person is recognized as a Jew no matter what they believe. It is because of your genealogy. It is because of who your parents were. That's what the identity of a Jew is and what it means to be a Jew. To be a part of the community is something else. And people will say that you're no longer a part of the community. We no longer acknowledge you to be Jewish. But this just demonstrates people's ignorance, that they don't recognize what it means to really be a Jew. It means that you are a person who has a definitive genealogy. If you believe in Jesus, it doesn't mean you're no longer a Jew. It just means that you have a different belief than a lot of other Jews. And a lot of other Jews have beliefs that contradict each other also. So what's the big deal? It's a big deal because believing in Jesus is an issue of the truth not an issue of what kinds of ceremonies you engage with or what kind of traditions you practice or anything that is related to Judaism today. It has to do with what is true and what is not. And I explained in previous programs that for the most part, many people would prefer to live in denial of reality and live a life of dishonesty. They would prefer that than to deal with the social consequences of believing the truth that our God has revealed. Everyone must make a committed decision themselves of what is going to be important to them. And I sincerely implore you to consider that what God thinks is important. And you should embrace his reality, not your own, that you may want to create in your own mind or accept just so that other people will like you. Now, what I did in this program was give a clear explanation of the gospel in the context of a problem and a solution. And for those of you who are Christians who are thinking about telling a Jew about Jesus, you should recognize that my description of the gospel 
is not common. It's not a common description. I did not just speak about the forgiveness of sins, but I also spoke about the restoration of life. And in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it speaks of the spirit of lives that I referred to as the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. You also will recognize that within most of Christianity, most people are not interested in the truth either. People deal with the same issues, the same struggles as I described within Judaism. It's just different from a cultural perspective. It's different in the sense that people are more focused on the New Testament as opposed to the traditions of rabbinical Judaism. They have their own Christian traditions, their own Christian issues. The subject of the truth is also not very important in most of Christianity. And so the ineffectiveness of Christianity, Christianity has been very ineffective in reaching out to Jews because for them, for us, to embrace the gospel, it has to be according to the truth and not according to tradition or joining a community or any of the other reasons that are similar to why most Jews will not believe that Jesus is the Messiah. You must know the truth, because it is the truth that sets people free. Thank you for listening. This program is the last program in the series that I produced on telling a Jew about Jesus. From here, I would like to encourage you to spend time listening through the Living God Ministries radio archive. In the archive, you'll find the first section has a lot of historical content that will help you to understand the ministry of the Lord Jesus, what he did, what he taught, and how the people would have understood his ministry during that time. The second section is where I present the subject of what it means to be in Christ, what it means to now live our lives as a result of what the Messiah has already accomplished for us. And then at the bottom of the Radio Archive page, there are several verse-by-verse studies, and I would like to encourage you to listen to about half of the second section, Our Life in Christ First, before going through the verse-by-verse studies. You'll benefit the most by spending some time learning more about your life in Christ first. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net that you may